Welcome to the Bible Professor Podcast. Our uh, guest today is Dr. Will Varner from the West Coast, the Master's Seminary. Welcome today, Dr. Varner. Mel, it's my delight to be here. I, I really look forward to this. I thank you. We're talking Isaiah 714, what most Christians refer to as the virgin birth passage, a Christmas passage, if you will. Uh, several players on the stage there in Isaiah 7, right? You've got Ahaz, you've got Isaiah, you've got his wife, you've got a few others, and the child to be born. So I want you to talk about that, but I want to set you up by reading um, a couple of commentaries uh, who uh, wax uh, eloquent, or maybe they wax elephants. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> and this one says, uh, a good deal uh, of discussion has centered on the identity of the young woman, Hebrew Alma. In Hebrew, the noun appears to refer to a young woman of marriageable age who is not necessarily a virgin. Thus, although it could be used of a virgin, this sense was not necessary to the meaning of the word. And uh, so you have that look at it. And another commentary says um, the Hebrew word Alma stands for an ordinary young woman, as at Genesis 24, Exodus 2, Psalm 68. The Hebrew word for virgin is usually betula, and uh, you know how that goes. And then this commentator, whom I'm incidentally Wilder, Wildberger, I'm actually not familiar with this Old Testament commentator. He says, um, he says, what is the actual sign? It is not an uncommon pregnancy for the Alma and the birth of Emmanuel in the sense of a virgin birth. One would also not want to place too much importance upon the fact that Isaiah could not have had any way to know whether the Alma, even if that supposedly referred to his own wife, would have given birth to a son and not to a daughter. And uh, so he goes on there. So, and then uh, a more evangelical interpretation, Matyer, I'm sure you're, sure you're familiar uh, mm -hmm. with him. He says, um, so Matyer says in Genesis 24 and Exodus 2, the reference is unquestionably to an unmarried girl. And in Song of Solomon 6, Contrasted with queens and concubines are unmarried and virgin. Thus, whenever the context allows a judgment. So discounting when Alma is used in, uh, mm -hmm. I think he had mentioned uh, song scores, uh, musical uh, scores. When the context allows a judgment, Alma is not a general term, meaning young woman, but a specific one, meaning uh, virgin. It is worth noting, Motyer says, that outside the Bible, so far as may be ascertained, Alma was never used of a married woman. He's actually citing E.J. Young there. All right, Dr. Varner, what say ye? Well, Mel, you've done your homework, and I appreciate that. But this is familiar territory. Having worked with a Jewish mission for 17 years and taught Messianic theology uh, here at Masters, uh, these are really familiar uh, arguments. And I can understand why, from the Jewish frame of reference, they would want to uh, explain this away, because obviously this is a miracle. Virgin girls don't give birth. Uh, obviously, this is a miracle. And if this is true, Jesus is the Messiah. So Jews have a, have a, a stake in this, and, and, and they're going to steer this away. Well, we do know in Matthew 1, uh, when uh, the angel appears uh, to Joseph, uh, he says, fear not to take her, uh, because the one who is uh, in her is of the Holy Spirit, as it, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, uh, and Matthew uh, records it as Parthenos. Now, that's a clear Greek word 
for virgin. Nobody really fusses about that. The great temple on top of the Acropolis was called the Parthenon, because in Greek mythology, the virgin goddess Athena, it was dedicated to her. So from the Greek background, Parthenos means virgin. Now, what some of the writers said, however, ah, but wait a minute, Alma, the Hebrew word that is used in Isaiah 7, 14, does not mean virgin. Well, wait a minute, I think it does. I would make a bold statement going all the way back to my professor in seminary, Alan A. McRae, who said in his commentary on Isaiah, it cannot be shown anywhere else that Alma appears that it is applied to a married woman, okay? So the Greek translators who were not Christians, keep in mind, this is very, very important. Mm. The Greek translators uh, 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 who did the Septuagint, they were not Christian translators. When they came to that, they translated it by the same word that appears in Matthew, Parthenos, which means virgin. So uh, that, that Greek word means virgin, and Alma, it can never be shown anywhere in the Old Testament that it ever refers to a married woman. As a matter of fact, we think of Rebecca back in Genesis chapter 24. She's called an Alma in verse 43. She's also called a Batula in 24.16, but Moses quickly adds, she was a Batula who had not known a man. So both those Hebrew words, Betula and Alma, are used to describe uh, Rebecca, who was virginal. All right. So that's really the first thing is, is that while a lot of people say, oh, Alma means a marriage, where in the Hebrew Bible can it really be shown that it, it refers to a married woman? It refers to a maiden of marriageable age who by definition uh, has not uh, had relationship with a man uh, because she's unmarried. So that's the I, first thing I wonder, about Parthenos uh, and Alma. Okay, Dr. Varner, I wonder, uh, you are emphasizing the fact that it cannot be shown in the Hebrew Old Testament that Alma meant any. I wonder what the history is behind those who use that as their objection. Well, because it, 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 if it's a Jewish objection, then you know what's uh, what what's driving them. They don't want this this to be a prophecy of a virginal conception. That's impossible. Now the other ones might be from a more liberal uh, perspective and who may be Protestants, but they don't believe in the virgin birth because that doesn't take place. So even if they're not Jewish, if they're from a more uh, liberal theological bent. They want to explain it away, and I think that's what's driving it. But I think uh, Matthew got it right. Uh, uh, Parthenos means virgin, and that's what Isaiah 7, 14 means. Now, uh, okay. Mel, uh, but how about in the context there? Uh, there is a context where I think supports this idea is not just another young girl getting pregnant. Because that's really what it comes down to. If it's not a miracle and she's not a virgin, uh, a, a young woman getting pregnant is not really a miracle. 
But uh, but right. in the context there, uh, Isaiah says to wicked Ahaz, he says, um, uh, I, I want to give you a sign. And Ahaz very piously says, no, no, I don't want a sign. So Isaiah redirects it and doesn't give the following sign to Ahaz. He actually addresses the house of David, the entire uh, dynasty of David of which Ahaz was one, but so the uh, uh, the address is to the whole house of David. And though English Bible readers can't denote it, I uh, trust me when I tell you uh, he's talking to Ahaz as a, sec- as a second singular you. But when he gives this prophecy, he shifts to you plural. The Lord will give to you plural a sign. So he's not just uh. talking to to Ahaz. He is talking to Ahaz's descendants. This is a prophecy for the house of David, and he calls it a and, sign. And you actually cannot see this switch to the plural pronoun in the English Bible. No, you can't, but trust me, uh, uh, it is there. And, and, and so it's not really a, a message to Ahaz, who already says, I don't want to, you know, a, a sign. And when he says sign, if you look at that word oat uh, over and over, it means a mirror. And uh, while we are very happy when a young lady gets pregnant, let me tell you, it's natural processes. It's not really a miracle. So uh, the Lord shall give you a miracle. A virgin shall conceive, and then calling him Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, the the whole context there is speaking of more than just a young lady getting pregnant by her 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 husband. That's not really a sign. And but this kid is going to be different. This kid is Emmanuel, God with us. Okay. Now let me um, let me. Sure. Let me push on that a little bit. Uh, I did read uh, one of these uh, commentaries I was reading on this, actually. uh, And and I think this is part and parcel of a more liberal theology. Um, And a lot of people today are scared to use the word liberal, by the way, I'm finding out. But look, Mm -hmm. when when it comes down to theology and people are denying the supernatural. I mean, that's liberalism 101. So I'm going to call Absolutely. it for what it is. But Absolutely. anyway, <laughs> one of these more liberal commentaries uh, said, Dr. Varner, Emmanuel was simply encouraging a way to encourage Ahaz that God's going to be with you through what you're about to experience. I would say that that is possible. And I wouldn't okay. use this for the only argument. It could be, and I will grant that that by this child coming, uh, it will be an indication uh, that God is with us. That is possible. I wouldn't use it as the only argument, but by I think it's supporting, however, the other arguments that it's a sign. It's going to be a sign if God is with us in a person, uh, and, and it's going to be a sign if she's a virgin. So uh, I would say and that, that's also the best reading in Matthew 1 uh, as well. His name will be called God with us. There is no verb is in that. That's why they would say 
God with us, God is with us, but there is no verb is there. It's Emmanuel, that his name is God with us, not God is with us. But I can understand, uh, uh, and I want to be honest with you, you know, I've debated rabbis, and, and, and I know our best argument, but I would see that as a supportive argument to the other uh, uh, evidences, that it's a sign and that it's a virgin. Uh, he clearly is a miraculous child. And, and the reason for that is the larger context. Uh, the book of Emmanuel in Isaiah is not just in Isaiah 7. There's talk about, may I say it respectively, a kid who's going to be born, who's going to be miraculous in chapter 9. Uh, Matthew quotes the beginning of Isaiah 9 uh, is fulfilled when Jesus comes into Galilee. And, and the reason why this is very, very important is because a son is given to us. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Pele Yoates, wonderful counselor, mighty God, El Gibor. Aviad Shalom, Father of uh, uh, Prince of Peace, and, and Father of Eternity. Those are titles that fit in with Isaiah 7. So don't separate Isaiah 9 from Isaiah 7. The book of Emmanuel continues there with this miraculous son, and he's called El Gibor. Something that maybe, <laughs> I don't have never shared this with you, uh, Mel, but um, uh, that Pele Yoates, of course, uh, it's wonderful counselor. The King James has a comma after wonderful, and that, mm -hmm. that marvelous handles Messiah uh, in the Hallelujah Chorus has them singing wonderful, pause, counselor. But all translations since the King James recognize that because there's three pairs of titles that go together after that, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, this should be wonderful counselor. Now, that word Pele means miraculous, miraculous. It's the name, uh, hold on to your seat here, <laughs> it's the name that the angel of the Lord says, that's my name, when he's appearing to Manoah and his wife, who are the future parents of Samson. And this is wow. the angel of the Lord. And they say, what's your name? He says, why do you call my name? It's Pele. And it's the only other time that Pele uh, appears in the Hebrew Bible. So this, mm. this, this angel of the Lord says, then he goes up in the fire, and, and Manoah and his wife are saying, you know, we're going to be struck dead because we have seen God. That's right. We have seen uh, God. The uh, angel yeah. of the Lord was the Lord. Now, I want to argue, and I don't see anybody else saying this, uh, 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 Mel. We oftentimes think the, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, and I think here is evidence for that. When he says, mm -hmm. my name is wonderful, and the child's name in Isaiah 9 is wonderful, Pele, I think this is evidence, further evidence, because we know it was the Lord. Even Manoah yeah. recognized that. So uh, Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel that's the case in uh, one and maybe a two other passages in the Old Testament. Yeah. That was one of them, and yeah. with Abraham as well. I mean, because the context is clear that it's God speaking. Moses at the burning you know. bush. 
Yeah. The angel of the yep. Lord appears to Moses and the Lord speaks, you know. So uh, uh, so so don't separate. I'm not saying you do, but uh, uh, anybody don't separate Isaiah nine from Isaiah seven. It all goes uh, really together in the book of Emmanuel. Well, let's let's talk about this son again in Isaiah seven fourteen. a little press this a little further. How can the son, some say their interpretation or objection is that does not refer to Messiah later, that referred to Isaiah's own son that was born not long after this? Yeah, one of them was called Maher Shallow Hashbaz, I think it was. Yes, yeah, the longest, that guy. Uh, longest name uh, in the Bible. Well, uh, but nothing is said about his mom uh, having a special birth. Nothing is said about. Uh, uh, and, and also Isaiah seven fourteen uh, really has characteristics that Mahershala Hashbaz and Hezekiah can't be Hezekiah because Hezekiah, you know, uh, was already living at the time of Isaiah seven fourteen. So uh, it's Mahershala Hashbaz uh, hasten to the prey, hasten to the booty. It it, uh, it means in Hebrew. But nothing is said about him being a savior. Nothing is said about him being God in the flesh. Nothing is said about him uh, being uh, the heir. This is a descendant of David, not a descendant of Isaiah. That's the important thing. So it can't be really a child of Isaiah, even though his kids may have been very nice. <laughs> uh, this one is a, 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 a descendant of um of of david and 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 one who is more i mean hezekiah comes and he goes maher shalahashbeth comes and he goes and even in jewish tradition they're not viewed as anything special but this child is something special more important uh, more qualified than any of Isaiah's son. Yes, sir. And in fact, uh, good. And thank you, Dr. Varner. Um, okay. Dr. Varner, let me ask you, you've gone uh, backward that way to the Hebrew Old Testament. Let me go forward to the Greek New Testament a moment because I have heard, I want to ask you your thoughts on this. I have heard preachers, for instance, press the point that, and maybe there's something to it, press the point that a, a, a son a child would be born, but a son would be given. And so the noun son and the verb given used mm -hmm. noun and verb over in John 3, 16, for instance, mm -hmm. a son I think is it's given. consistent with Isaiah. I, and I like that. I'm going to give some yeah. more consideration to that. I ha haven't. Yeah. Really I, I want to think about it a little more myself. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, uh, well, uh, every now and then somebody says, well, okay, but what does this have to do with Ahaz? All right. And if, if we could go back to Isaiah seven there, uh, maybe I need to talk about that because it looks like this is um, going to be fulfilled right away. Uh, uh, right after right. Isaiah right. seven fourteen talks about, uh, you know, uh, things will be bad. There'll be an invasion. But uh, my uh, I, he's with the Lord now. But great Old Testament scholar, John Salehammer. Uh, has a wonderful treatment of this. Uh, and uh, he says, no, he says, uh, if you look at that passage after Isaiah 7, 14, that, that things will be bad, he'll eat honey, uh, you, you know, and, and uh, this is a Spartan diet. It, it's talking about suffering. 
uh, well, what Selhamer says this, uh, that, that this is really not fulfilled in Ahaz's day, but will be fulfilled in succeeding centuries when the Jewish people go into exile. Uh, God's people, uh, I'm quoting uh, Selhamer here, would not live freely, but would live under the domination of great foreign powers. And we know that happened with the Assyrian captivity, with the Babylonian captivity, because Ahaz had rejected God's offer. The sign was not given for his own day. It was given to future generations. So what the succeeding context there is, describing these hard times, is the times of exile that the Jewish people will, would be in, and future generations were to await God's sending his promised son. So I do believe in context. I think we ought to always do that. But right. perhaps there's more there than the immediate context of Ahaz's day. It's talking about future exile and then the Messiah coming. Yeah. And so the promise seems to be to the, uh, you, uh, the house of David. You got it. Uh, ultimately, and not just this ki single King Ahaz. That's right. Absolutely. And I think that is so important. The Lord will give you plural a sign, not just Ahaz. He said, I don't right. want a sign. <laughs> but it, it, the sign is to the house of David and the succeeding generations that God has not forsaken his, uh, his uh, uh, house of David, uh, but a descendant of David will come someday and isn't that what uh, the angel said to uh, Joseph? Also, right. uh, this is practical, too. This is not just, okay, a prophecy is fulfilled and Jesus is born. But he's, joined, he, he, he's born for a purpose. And his name is what? Jesus. Jesus, the Greek translation of Joshua. And anybody who knows uh, Hebrew will tell you Joshua or uh, Yeshua means the Lord is salvation. And so here's a play on words. You shall name his name Jesus, Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. This is not just a theological debate we're having, Mel, and I know you know that. This mm -hmm. is very practical. Here at Christmas, it's not just enough to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. But the announcement to uh, uh, Joseph was his name is Savior, Jesus, for he hmm. shall save his people from his sins. I've got a student, uh, Mel, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, uh, his name is Joshua. And in Greek class, I always call him Jesus. <laughs> and the students yeah, get a right. kick out of that. The same name as Jesus. So, uh, but that's what it means, Savior. And that's what this is all yeah, about. You not just debates about Hebrew and Greek, but he will save right. us from our sins. Absolutely. And I did uh, research uh, one time under my uh, PhD mentor, David Allen Black. You mentioned the Greek. Um, Matthew 121 was one of those instances where the Greek pronoun autos is used. Some people call it emphatically or intensively. He, he himself. Yeah. Or, yeah. or it is he, Dave Black would translate it, it is he and no other. Oh, will I save like his that. people from their sins. I like I it. like that. <laughs> David knows you don't have to put autos in there to read the Greek verb as he. So if you put it in there, well put, mm -hmm. uh, he himself will save yep. his people 
from their sins. So the message of Christmas is really a message of salvation, not just a message of a virgin birth, as important as that is. But talk about the um, importance of um, the importance of the virgin birth. I mean, why, why even all this hoopla? Why should we even be concerned about it? Because I have actually watched YouTube videos and, and heard, you know, the more progressive Christians and, and, and liberals. By the way, let me just say this for uh, my listening audience. In my estimation, progressive, progressive is just the new word for liberals. Progressive Christians, liberal Christians, just new. Look, same package in a new dress or in new wrapping. Uh, at any rate, the more progressive Christians will say, you don't need the virgin birth. Just don't worry about that. Isaiah never meant that. Matthew didn't mean it or Matthew got it wrong. What's just believe in Jesus? What would you say? Well, you know, just believe in Abraham. Just believe in Moses. Just believe in David. They're <laughs> human prophets. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't save you. So, so it's, it's hmm. so, so important that he be the son of God, God manifest in the flesh, or he's just another prophet. You know, and uh, our, our, our Muslim friends have prophets. They think Jesus was a prophet and even Muhammad was a prophet. But, but, but Abraham didn't, didn't die to save us from our sins. You know, uh, so uh, if they say, well, just be kind one to another, just, uh, you know, treat one another, quite, you know, and even Jesus taught to, you know, be kind one to another. Yes, but Jesus also uh, taught that I'm going to my death and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. So you can't just accept some of the words of Jesus that sound like a nice guy, you know, love everybody and deny the other things he says that I am mm -hmm. laying my life down. I mean, there in, in, in Gethsemane, he says, I don't want to, to drink this cup, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he drank that cup, not just to be a nice teacher. He drank that cup of suffering that he might die for our sins. So it's not just enough to believe in Jesus as a prophet or as a good teacher. Um, there's a zillion good teachers, but there's only one who was virgin born and died and rose again. You had sent me some years ago. I don't know if you remember, you sent me a, a PDF of your notes, the Messianic theology of the Old and New Testaments. And in your section on, I, you have a lengthy section on Isaiah 714. It's a tremendous outline uh, where you go through an introduction. You talk about Tiglath-Pileser, King yes. of Assyria. Yes. Uh, Rezin Ahaz, you talk of, you give uh, messianic interpretations of Isaiah. I mean, all the way yes. down to yeah. Yeah. when Samaria fell. And then there's the offer to the house of David, uh, all this yeah. stuff about yeah. the sign and Alma. Yeah, I just finished teaching that course again, uh, Mel. I uh, just went through this. Okay. Students a few weeks cool. ago. Yeah. So, so have uh, you. Um, have you published on it? Well, I know one book you published, The Messiah. Yes. And and recently, uh, it actually, uh, as a result of two 
crazy things that happened to me. Number one, I lost my passport on going to the airport to go to Israel one time. So I had to stay back for five days before I could get another air, uh, uh, um, uh, passport. And I began writing a book called Passionate About the Passion. I did finally join my wife and the group in Israel. Well, when that book was published, uh, Passion About Passion Week, my publisher says, well, you've written on the end of the Lord's life. Why don't you write on the beginning of the Lord's life? And so I did. I, I've written a book uh, anticipating the advent. And I do not hesitate to mention it this time of year <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it certainly can be read. And, and meditated on. And uh, I deal with some of the things uh, that we talk about uh, today. Uh, I deal also about not only stories uh, about the shepherds, uh, but I also talk about uh, Herod and, and how he came. The child was uh, a young child by then, not a baby any longer. And when they said, where is he this born king of the Jews? You know, uh, he right. says, oh, well, I want to find out where he is so I can worship mm -hmm. him. But of course, he didn't. So we we talk about the dark side of Christmas, Mel. Uh, I, okay. I, I'm not really a Scrooge. It's not that. But there is a dark <laughs> side of Christmas because the darker we see the time at the at that, the brighter is the light. And mm -hmm. uh, so so uh, the the light is so much brighter when we see it against the darkness of those days, even Simeon and Anya. Simeon told uh, 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 young Miriam when uh, she came to him, a sword will pierce through your soul, young lady. Yes. And you just wonder what that probably 15, 16 year old girl thought mm. as she had this ceremony with him. And he talks about the glory of Israel and the sign to the Gentiles. And he says, a sword will pierce through your heart. Well, 30 years later, as she's standing at the foot of the cross, that sword pierced through her soul. So there is a dark side to Christmas. Mm. Uh, uh, but that should enable us, like Anna, the other one, to go and tell everybody about this Savior that comes. So I, I pull in those stories uh, around Christmas as well to, to show yes, the sir. light shines that much brighter in the darkness. Amen. Uh, on the shepherd's field in your new book, uh, did you deal with the Migdal Eder yes. tower? Thank you for asking that. Uh, uh, Migdal Eder, Migdal means tower. Eder means flock. And uh, uh, th th that is talking about a place near Bethlehem because it was the place near which Rebecca died on her way uh, to uh, uh, Rachel died on her way. She died there at Migdal Eder. The Talmud actually says that Migdal Eder, and this is not a Christian writing, it says Migdal Eder was near Bethlehem, and there were shepherds that raised sheep there, the tower of the flock, okay? And those sheep, those lambs, were being raised for the next spring to be killed as the Passover lambs just a few miles away in Jerusalem. And if you look at Micah 5, 2, but you, Bethlehem, uh, Ephrata, there's a parallel passage. Excuse me. There's a parallel passage uh, uh, in the previous chapter where Migdal Eder is, is, is addressed. So both Bethlehem, Ephrata, and Migdal Eder are addressed 
as the places to which the kingdom is going to come. So, yeah, that's okay. Great. Important. Yeah, I, I have an uh, elderly pastor friend of mine from uh, years back, uh, but he mentioned to me a few years ago about the Migdal Adair and because he's he's led tours to Israel dozens and dozens of times. And he was telling me about that. I had, uh, had just never been yeah. uh, uh, informed but, of that part but, of the. Uh, but the you can see it in Micah 4 as a parallel passage to Micah 5 too. And of course, uh, with the shepherds, uh, the tower of the flock, they, they had a watchtower there. And the amazing thing is that uh, the not Christians, but Jews actually said they were preparing lambs for the Passover. So how, how, how appropriate that the Passover lamb was born there as well. Okay, great. How cool. Dr. Varner, the name of your book again? Yes. Anticipating the Advent. Okay, uh, and I'll have a, looking I'll have for a Messiah link in the description in, below. In all the right places. <laughs> That's what it's. I'm uh, sorry. Give the, us the subtitle again. Yes, anticipating the Advent, looking for Messiah in all the right places. <laughs> okay, That's I the, like that. Uh, all know, right. Well, we've been uh, joined today by Dr. William Varner, and uh, he's written a couple of exegetical commentaries on the Greek text of James. Um, your Philippians commentary, uh, your exegetical, um, exegeting the Greek of Philippians. I've used that for Greek four and advanced Greek grammar. It's a great work. Um, uh, Those of us that had that, you know, that was kind of our cheat sheet as we worked through Philippians. Uh, (laughs) They still, um, my students still use that. (laughs) You have an older book called The Messiah Revealed, Rejected, Received. Received. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. received. Positive. And, uh, when so, I was with Friends of Israel, I collected together articles that I wrote in Israel, My Glory, and published that book. And the Lord still is blessing that book. I drew from that book for this trilogy of books that I wrote on the life of Christ. I drew from that book. Yes. And also, you... you um, Gave me a complimentary copy several years ago when I was at a uh, shepherd's conference of your uh, Wake O Heart Devotions oh, on the yes. Psalms. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, that Warren Wearsby inspired me to write that book, Mel. I, I, I was reading his uh, really brief commentary on Psalms, and I said, he is really. And, and so I credit him at the beginning. I, Warren Wearsby just really blessed my heart because to him, the Psalms are to be prayed and, and, and lived not just read. And uh, that's what I tried to do uh, is apply it to life, uh, okay. apply each psalm to life, uh, like I was inspired to do so by Warren Wearsby. All right. Dr. Will Varner, and you've taught for how many years Greek and New Testament at the Master's Seminary? 27 years. Master's wow. University and Seminary. 27 okay. years. And then uh, about uh, 10 years previously with Friends of Israel. Right. That's where I first heard your name, by the way. Well, thank you for joining us today, brother. You're a blessing to me, Mel. Keep up the good work. Okay. And thank you all for listening to The Bible Professor. Be blessed. Thank you for connecting with The Bible Professor podcast. If you have questions, feel free to contact us. If you like our content and are getting value from it, consider subscribing, sharing, and supporting in the links below.